This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right. So I'm sitting here and I am talking to Eric Clark. And uh, Eric, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm Eric Clark. <laughs> That's it. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do a couple of things. I at first, I'm a dad. I got three kids, uh, all all right around the age four, and then two, and and brand new, three months. So I'm just getting over the hump of transitioning into getting back into regular sleep patterns. So you're getting a saner version of me at the moment. Um, on top of that, I have a day job. I'm in technology by day. And then at night, I do a couple of things. I founded a GPS hunting app that's undergoing some major changes and updates and a rebrand. Formerly, it was the Where to Hunt app. And uh, now it is the Outland app, O-U-T-L-N-D. And that helps hunters identify occupied and unoccupied hunting land. And we're currently building a heat map of that uh, same user data to help forecast where you maybe want to go. Uh, both preseason for scouting purposes, e-scouting, and also live real-time data. Uh, so that's really cool. I have a co-founder that that runs that with me. He's the technologist. He's the nerd. He's building all the stuff. We got some funding from the state of Wisconsin to help kind of propel our efforts there. So hopefully that'll be done. Not hopefully it'll be done um, in a web app by uh, the hunting season in 2022. And then I also co-own uh the OKS hunter with my buddy tyler so him and i uh make a, a ton of content and we sell <laughs> uh merch through OKS hunter and a percentage of our revenue one percent of our revenue uh goes to conservation so the more we sell the more we can promote and support conservation efforts so tyler's a big bird dog bird hunting guy he's uh, in the dog training space and the bird hunting space and pheasants and ducks and stuff He's on that side for conservation. I'm more in the deer. He hunts deer too, but I don't hunt any birds. So um, together we make a pretty good team. So that's, yeah. And then I also run um, Baseline Media, which we do. <laughs> we do like branding for outdoor companies, a lot of logo design, uh, t-shirt design, sticker designs, and then also uh, marketing, content marketing to be specific for outdoor companies. So 
we're just getting into that now and we're just uh, starting to work some of our first clients on that. And uh, it's, it's fun, man. There's a lot to do. So, so you work, you work in technology during the day and all those other things are your hobbies slash side businesses slash nighttime activities. Yeah, that's my leisure. You know, some people watch like Game of Thrones or what, I don't know what like the show is that people watch now. Probably uh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I only know this little because I like make content around that stuff. So I have to kind of stay somewhat up to speed on what's going on. But no, I, I work on these things. So after I'm done with you tonight, I'll put our email blast together. It goes out every week. Um, we just finished our podcast before I came on here for OKS Hunter. And then and I'll turn around and write some more blogs. It was just, yeah. And then I got client work in the morning before I start my day job. And busy busy. <laughs> nice no that's good i find that uh doing things like that keeping yourself busy it always you feel more i don't want to say productive because that's not the right word you feel better about yourself keeping yourself busy than sitting there idly thinking about things and not doing anything i don't know what the terminology is or what the word i'm I looking can't. for but yeah yeah i wouldn't be able to someone posted something the other day and said would you be would you if someone were going to pay you three grand a week to sit in a room for eight hours a day and do nothing, would you do it? And I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to do that. That would be miserable. Just, I'm not wired that way. Yeah, I'm That's... sure there's a lot of people that are probably like that, but it, it would be really hard for me. I couldn't do it. There's not a chance. I would last three minutes. They'd be like, I'm out. I'll pay you three grand so I don't have to do this. Yeah, I, <laughs> I get it. So let's talk about base layer media a little bit then, other than just like logo design, stuff like that. Like, How did, how did that even come about? why'd you go into that? Uh, so in 2019, uh, before the pandemic hit in April, actually April 1st, so it wasn't an April Fool's joke. I flew to New York and I met Gary Vaynerchuk. I got to hang out at his office for a whole day. I did four Ds, which is his daily digital deep dive. They're still doing that. Um, Pre-pandemic, it was in person. I got to spend the day with his entire team going through how they do stuff, Team Gary V also. And then also then Gary himself. And you know, I did that through my day job, but you know, I'm wearing that hat, but of course I'm the same human being with the same brain. I can't help but think of these other things that I have going on also. So of course, you know, we, we put a lot of that stuff into practice for the day job and built up some things, but, um, you know, additionally, I'm thinking, gosh, I should be doing more with my stuff per what he calls the Gary V content model, which is taking a long form piece of content. Like for him, it's a keynote. Uh, for me, it's a podcast and chopping that into little bits that, you can spoon feed people on social media because our attention spans are so short. So <laughs> someone might consume a whole hour podcast, but someone that's new to your brand or has never heard of you, you might need to spoon feed them a meme, a quote, uh, a picture, or a, you know, a 10 or 30 second clip to get them interested. And if you do that enough over time across all the social platforms that exist, you might gain some new followers. So that's what base layer media is doing for outdoor hunting brands is if you have a podcast, a series, a webinar, something like that, a YouTube channel, um, we're doing that. We're a content shop. We're, we're what I would say a content job shop. We're just chopping it up and repurposing it. So you can dole it back out into the social channels. If you've already put the time, energy, effort, and dollars into producing that, and it's just sitting there, it's a big old brick. <laughs> Let's just chop it up a little bit so, you know, you can get some pebbles out of it that you can actually digest. Uh, so that's what that is. And then, yeah, logo design. I've been doing that for a number of years. My degree is in graphic design and web media. So this is my virtual playground. I love this stuff. Um, so I've helped a whole mess of brands with their, with their logos, mostly newer folks and startups and things like that. Um, but I've also worked, I worked in web marketing for a decade. So I've worked on some pretty big brand stuff too. Um, but you know, not in the hunting space. I've done that in the, the day job, so to speak, um, previously. But so I've taken a lot of that experience and exposure and building brands and taglines and, you know, logos and all of that stuff and parlayed that into what I actually like to do and care about more. <laughs> this, this is boring. No, uh, it's pretty cool. It really is, Eric, because I, 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 see, I see your work, what you do for yourself and the OKS Hunter brand, right? And I've watched that for a couple of years now like well first it was the where to hunt and then it kind of spun off into the whole okayist hunter brand right if i'm correct but i remember watching that happen and what was it like two years ago the okayist hunter kind of came about yeah it's funny so i have like a hoarding problem with domain names <laughs> so anytime i have like an idea i buy a domain name and 
Uh, okay, Sunders, when I bought a number of years ago, and it just sat there, and uh, I asked, actually asked uh, a couple of guys, hey, do you want to do this with me? And they're like, nah, I don't really understand. I don't get it. And I was like, all right, whatever. Uh, and then another opportunity presented itself with my buddy Tyler, and I, I lobbed it to him. I'm like, hey, man, you want to do this with me? I have no interest in doing it by myself. I need some help. I can't do it alone. And he's like, sure, let's give it a roll. So we spun that up with like, the, it was the okay symbol until I learned that that's like the now universal sign for hate or something. <laughs> so he changed the logo to the little antler and I have the antler here. Uh, yep. I saw it on yeah, your table the, when we did the podcast the other night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there it is. Um, so I designed a logo after that and I thought, let's focus. I mean, really, the, I've had a hankering for ending deer shaming and buck shaming for a number of years. I've talked to a lot of folks about this back in the where to hunt days, but on where to hunt, I would call myself the OKS hunter because I don't have a lot of big deer on my wall. And I didn't want people to think, well, why should I listen to this guy doing a podcast if he's never killed big deer? So I went on the offense with that terminology. And that kind of was a thing. So between the domain name, having started to say that about myself a bunch on the where to hunt podcast, it just made sense. Then we got the grant funding for the app. We part of the reason we got this is because we're expanding into the outdoor category as a whole. So literally the name where to hunt isn't going to work for the application any longer. Um, so it made sense to split some things up strategically and take a different path. So then the podcast went the OKS Hunter route, the app is going the Outland route and, and effectively where to hunt is only in existence as the holding company for Outland. So the, the, um, LLC exists, but there's no, um, social profiles left of it anymore. It's all sunsetted. Yeah. So we're going to come back to the OKS Hunter, but we'll talk about Outland real quick then. So Outland is becoming not just for hunters it's going to be for like hikers and outdoor recreationists in general or something like that that's I correct mean, so it's basically yep. like an outdoor round table for people to look and locate different services and areas to recreate so yeah i guess some of the folks in this in the outdoor space have some things cornered like we're not onyx we're not i'm not going to compete with onyx we're not i believe so i read a book called play bigger uh it came out of silicon valley um, by the Horowitz guys and uh, Y Combinator and a lot of these Silicon Valley, you know, startup people. Uh, and the book Play Bigger talked about doing things. And then there's other people that say this stuff, but this is where I heard it from. Uh, do things different, not better. I am not going to do Onyx better than Onyx. <laughs> not going to do Spartan Forge better than Spartan Forge. And I love Spartan Forge. We're friends, so I'm not going to compete with them anyways. Bill knows way too many powerful people. <laughs> uh, so I've, you know, not a chance. Um, so what I've saw after talking to like 200 plus deer hunters on the podcast collectively over the last several years, because we started the podcast in 2013. Um, it's my understanding that most big buck killers and mature deer hunters scout more of their time looking for a human sign to get away from human sign. A lot of people can look at a piece of property and make assumptions about where the deer are going to be, which is why you end up running into other hunters because you've all assumed the same thing. You see trail cams, you see boot tracks, you see deer stands, all of that stuff. So then you're scouting away from that. So in hearing that, I'm like, oh, well, no one's focused on like illuminating where this pressure exists and how it changes throughout the season. So much like you would see a weather uh, front move through on like weather underground or weather bug or, you know, uh, dark sky, you scrub through the forecast and you see the clouds move shift more morph and change colors that's what it's going to look like except that cloud is going to be real hunter activity on land throughout the country moving through time so when we consider moving to the outdoor category it would be great to know if a hiker a morel mushroom hunter or someone else someone foraging also disrupted that area um really it's it's going to be indicative of, of where the deer are or are not based on where people have put down human scent. The deer are going to want to avoid that. Um, and it introduces a safety component of, well, if there's a freaking hiker around the bend, that's going to be really good for the hunter to know. And that's going to be really good for that hiker to know that there's a hunter there. And it's, it's going to be a challenging thing to overcome. Uh, as I'm speaking about this, I know what's ahead of me here. I don't know what's ahead of me, I should say, <laughs> but I know that there's a big challenge in that we seem to be as hunters at odds with some of the people that are doing recreating and vice versa. You know, if someone is, you know, wearing Patagonia and they're into foraging and not hunting ever, they, they don't like hunters. They have a stereotype kind of vision of who a hunter is in their head and, and, and we do of them. But the interesting thing is that we have a common interest. We're both trying to enjoy the public land and in different ways. And hunters are bigger contributors to conservation. So it would behoove the, the people that are doing the other <laughs> recreating to like support hunting a little bit more. I want to bridge that gap 
as best as I can and kind of blend those worlds. And this app's going to allow us to do that. So there's the safety component. There's no awareness piece. There's the, the footprint on the property piece. And I want to make public land. I want to take the disdain out of it. People have such a negative connotation. It is such a privilege to hunt public land. Some countries don't have the ability to do it all. You can only hunt private land. You can't hunt anything. You know, we have access to public land. It's a big deal. I just spent the weekend at the Doug, well, not the whole weekend, but Sunday hunting up near Doug Duran for their doe derby. And, you know, I think he's great with conservation. And he said something to me really interesting. He said, uh, the public land owner, hashtag public land owner, I think backcountry hunters and anglers kind of are the ones that pioneered that hashtag. Um, there's a lot of pride in that. But the people that have private land, if you own something, literally own it, you treat it very different. If I own my house and my dishwasher breaks, I'm on the hook for that. I either have to fix it or I have to replace it. And that's on me. If I live in an apartment and my dishwasher breaks, what do I care? I'll call the maintenance man. He'll come deal with it. I'm going to pay anything. I'm, I'm renting this. So, you know, I know that a lot of people are proud to be out hunting public land, but you used it, I think, probably differently than if it was literally your property. You're taking care of it differently. Um, no one bad egg can ruin the bunch. But I, I just, I want to do a lot more for conservation and I want to repair the viewpoint of public land as a whole. A lot of guys are like, I'm not going to hunt public land. It's dangerous. The <laughs> Blaze Orange Army is going to shoot me. Public land sucks. I always run into other hunters. You know, there's no good public land spots. There's trash out here. No one takes, like, all of that stuff can be fixed, you know? Can. And this is yeah. just a potential step in that direction to try to make a difference. I like it. So um, the, the OKS Hunter, like, at what point was it that you, I mean, I don't remember all the memes and video stuff at first. It was, like, more little slogans or catchphrases, and then it evolved, and it, really took off into something of its own and and i'm just kind of curious i'm sure it has something to do with like your basement later media portion of it and kind of rolling that into it but like at what point did you guys decide to kind of start making them because they're hilarious i i love reading them and and watching them and it's some of the stuff like i've already thought of and like then you see it and you put a little video clip of something with it and it's just it's hilarious but like w at what point did you transition transition into that and like how did you come up with those you know yeah i i don't know it was like well we don't have the time to make our own video content and i'm probably not that funny anyways i would love to be the ubecha of hunting or like the charlie <laughs> barons of hunting and i've talked to those guys and and you know they they're really creative the way that they put stuff together and i just don't have that kind of capacity or time or know-how with a camera um so i was like well you know at first it was just looking at memes literally memes like the ones that are just or a gif i guess is what it's called i don't know what they're called um like the motion moving thing and so we would find me and i would find those and we would just think about stuff we did we have a huge catalog <laughs> of shit that we've done and we just we'll like look at that and we have huge idea boards and uh we'll you search through content sometimes intentionally looking for a situation um most of the time it's pretty serendipitous i'll go to youtube surf 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 watch, 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 nothing, 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 boom, strikes me like lightning. There's something here. And then I'll ideate with Greg and Tyler and be like, you go, you guys, there's something with this. What can it be? What am I not seeing here? And then we'll collaborate together. Be like, oh, this is what it's like. And sometimes you get on a good run and we'll create, you know, 10 at a time. You know, a lot of these things are done while I'm sitting on the John. And I'm just on, my wife's like, what are you doing in there? I'm like, what are you watching? Well, I'm just looking for content. So then we'll, I'll do it. It's all done on our phones. We do every bit of this is done on our phone. So and then we started posting to Twitter, just our thoughts. It's kind of like our, our, our diary. Like we'll just, Tyler and I will both go to Twitter, say whatever the hell's on our mind that day. And then we'll go back to it and look, scroll through what each other had said. And we'll just clip one spot and then put that out. And <laughs> what's happening is what Gary V talks about is social listening. So his team listens to what people are doing with their brand. He demonstrated this with wine library, which is like a way to sell wine on the internet, which I think he had sold now um, or got out of himself. One of the examples he used was like one of their people, uh, one of the customers like was talking all about Joe Cutler, Joe Cutler, Joe Cutler, Joe Cutler, the Bears quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, oh, get this guy a signed Joe Cutler jersey and send it to him. This is different. This is actually probably not the same thing. 
but because they saw that he posted that much about it, they gifted him like a signed jersey, and the guy loved it. And they told his friend, and then the friend bought like you know like a couple cases of wine down in Texas and said, "PSS, I love Bon Jovi. Like, get me something from Bon Jovi." But they were looking at that as feedback loops. So they would create this content, put it out there, and then watch to see which ones would take off better and do do well. And then they would pull the thread on that further and regurgitate it, spit it back out. So then that would perform exponentially better than the first piece because they were so in tune with what the market was saying about various things. And this is the stuff they did for the brands that they work with. So when we do okay as Hunter stuff, we'll put something out there. And then when we watch every single comment and we look at what people are saying and how they're entering, and then we go, oh, there's more to this. Let's create another piece about that. So like this week is a good example the Rambo bit. There's a Twitter one, or I'm sorry, yeah, Twitter like post picture first. And then you see the progression of the Rambo one because it came next because that really took off as to like, oh, hunting season is never over, right? Um, and now that one's performing, <laughs> outperforming the first one. So it's like a lot, it's a lot of social listening. It's a lot of dumb shit that we deal with in the woods. Like when we're out, actually on hunting season, you're gonna see a lot more content from us because we're out there experiencing dumb shit and doing dumb stuff and bad things are happening to us because we're okay as hunters. And then we realize everyone's an okay as hunter. Everyone has okay as moments. We promote the failure. We think you're going to learn more from failing than you are from succeeding. Just in general, by and large, you just learn more from failing and there's more failure than success, depending on what you're doing, like trying to hunt deer. <laughs> and yeah, that's it, man. Like we just have a lot of fun with it. And we'll laugh at our own stuff more than we'll ever laugh at, you know, like other things. Like if we make a piece of content, we laugh at it, we're done. We're good. No one else has to think it's funny. We did our job for ourselves. And it's funny how much stuff subjectively in the beginning we thought this is the best piece ever and we put it out there and it was freaking crickets and then we had another one we just did to do because we would like believe in putting stuff out and it like reached a hundred thousand people like what this is what people thought was funny we thought this was like the dumbest piece of content ever what the <laughs> hell so now we have zero subjectivity the market is the market is the market and they are the king so we have we move very very fast now because we don't get hung up on we think this is good or not. We don't care. We don't care at all. We just put it out there and then we listen and we iterate. So to answer your question, yeah, Base Layer Media owns OKS Hunter. OKS Hunter is DBA Base Layer Media. So OKS Hunter is our client, essentially. And so it's our way to have our playground to say, hey, this is our showpiece. This is like a lot of what we can do, right? All of the t-shirt designs are coming from Base Layer Media. All the sticker designs are coming from Base Layer Media. All the content marketing through email blasts, through SEO, through paid ads, through paid ads on Google, paid ads on uh, TikTok, paid ads on Facebook, paid ads on Instagram. Basically, media is running all of that stuff. Um, and OK Center is our playground. So we can cut our teeth there all day long and then have all of learning come back to us and the content production and so forth. So That's pretty cool. No, that's pretty cool. I like, I like the memes. I, I think they're funny. The video stuff, how that, I don't know, it seems like that only started like, maybe a couple months ago to where those really started coming out. But those are pretty funny. Try to do one a day. Pretty funny. Yeah, They're try to do funny. one of those a day. Um, but let's talk about hunting a little bit and, and how you ended up, I mean, because you started as an adult, right? Like you didn't have any experience or mentors as a kid or anything like that, did you? You've done some good homework. Yeah, so my dad is on the one that got me into hunting. Um, you know, and then there's a gap in me spending time with my dad. So from like 10 to 15, I didn't see my dad. Uh, for you know a lot of other reasons, whatever. And so around, but at 12 years old, I was obsessed with hunting and I had never done it. Like my mom wouldn't let me get a gun or a BB gun. I ended up getting a wrist rocket because like somehow that was safer. <laughs> uh, it was attainable. And Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, I would watch whatever the hell, I don't even remember what was on basic TV. We we're too part of cable. So whatever was on basic TV, probably like PBS or, or uh, Dan, Dan Small, um, dance small outdoors here in wisconsin and yeah. i would watch those things i would be obsessed and i would go in the woods and i would climb trees and i would i would hunt but i didn't have a weapon i didn't have anything i would just watch deer and walk, track them i would look for scat i would do all these things out in the woods i'd build forts and shit and i would wait for deer to come by and i would get on them and i would hike on all these trails and stuff and eventually when my, i got back in touch with my dad um you know i took hunter safety course at 16 and i was 16 because i had to drive there myself and so i didn't complete that till 16 17 somewhere in there and then I finally started going hunting my dad up in the Nicolay uh, Shimonigan National Forest here in Wisconsin. And my first ever deer hunt, it was like negative 15 degrees up in the Nicolay National Forest. There's snow. And the first deer I saw was a doe. And it came right on my stand off the road just because I saw tracks. I was like, oh, there's tracks here. 
And I got so excited. I walkie talkie to my dad. I said, there's a deer right here. Dad, there's a deer. It's right here. He's like, well, put the fucking walkie talkie down and shoot it. And like by the time I got the gun up and all this stuff, it just kind of meandered up. They never smelled me, never knew me, but I knew nothing about what the hell I was doing back then. Um, other than I fell in love with nature and being outside and watching the woods come to life and wake up with me and seeing the chickadees and the mice run through and the squirrels, eventually the deer and all those things. And just challenging yourself like up there, you, you'd hike for a long time and it could get dangerous out there, you know? Um, so that's how I got into hunting and Back then, I was probably chasing more women than deer, so I didn't care that much. And I was all gone. And then eventually, I asked my dad for, um, I was really into rock climbing. So I said, can you give me a membership to this rock climbing place, this into rock climbing place and for Christmas? Because he was asking me what I wanted. And then for Christmas, I didn't get that. I said I got a, a gift card to an archery shop here uh, locally, West Town Archery. And I was like, what I wanted? And I go to West Town with him, and here he buys a new bow. I'm like, how is this making sense for me? And then he, and he handed me down his, his old Darton Viper uh, dual cam bow and said, with the gift card money, you can outfit this thing. I was like, oh, cool, 150 bucks. That's like a lot of money I can do. It was enough for a new site. And, <laughs> and I think like cutting my arrows to size. I was like, what the fuck just happened? I just like, what? So then I started shooting that thing and I, I never killed a deer with that. I eventually bought the bow that I still have now off uh, a buddy who got on Craigslist. It's a bear uh, empire, single cam. And I killed my first deer with that from the ground in the year my daughter was born in 2017. And now I'm like on a whole different planet with bow hunting uh, in contrast to that. So, so are you still using that bear or are you using something else now? Yeah, I'm still using the bear. It has a... Uh, it has an HHA uh, Tetra on there, which is the single site that's got the, you know, you just slide it to adjust it. Um, I had the optimizer on there you know, earlier on and, and that was fine, but the Tetra is like, this is pretty great. Um, <laughs> I'm now shooting vector custom shop arrows, which I knew nothing about thick walled micro diameter arrows. I never knew anything about FOC until I started snorting the pixie dust from the ranch ferry. Now I have <laughs> iron wheel single bevel uh s100 broadheads on there that are cut on contact as sharp as science allows and i got the what is it the um ethics insert outsert system on there this is all stuff i never could have talked about before and i still can't like i can't actually go deep on any of this stuff but um i have a pretty decent setup i'm comfortable with it i'm confident with it and i i don't know i just keep trying to understand the animal more than i've ever care about the gear and i've only just started doing stuff with the gear like this this past season and a half ago i started doing more of that but my obsession has been understanding the animal more so the gear can make a big difference but if that that foundation isn't there it doesn't do any good but it's funny you say that because i was talking to my buddy the other day and we were he wanted to shoot my bow and he grabbed his own arrows and was going to shoot his own arrows out of it and i kind of started going into the whole heavy arrow thing and your arrows are too light and blah 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 and he stops and he looks at me and he goes you freaking kidding me right now? He goes, you're seriously going to try and preach to me about heavy arrows? I'm the one who taught you about heavy arrows. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, back when we used to shoot traditional archery. He's like, what do you think we were shooting? All that stuff was tapered shaft, heavy arrow. It was all for FOC. He's like, you don't. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. All right, whatever. Just go ahead and shoot whatever you're doing. <laughs> kind of, now you come full circle. Kind of dropped it. And I'm like, all right, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, he was trying to shoot his arrows. And, yeah, they were lighter. But, I mean, he, he he doesn't shoot anything that's real light. Like, his are, you know, 515 grains. And mine was six something. And I was just telling him, I was like, hey, man, they're going to be like, you know, five inches off at, you know, 50 or whatever. And trying to go through all this. He's like, it's fine. I got it. You know? Just shut up. You're an idiot. But so awesome. it was kind of funny that like we went through that whole process and then he just finally stops and he looks at me. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And then I, I stopped and I realized and I'm like, okay. But in my mind, what was funny is it never correlated all the traditional stuff, you know, and the, and the penetration that you needed with that bow being that it was a lighter draw weight and, you know, not as fast and all these different things that it just amplifies it when you put it you know, in a compound bow and you're going faster and, you know, all those things, it just, it just makes it that much better for those bows. And it makes me sad though, that so many people, like for instance, even some of my first year, I got pretty lucky maybe, or maybe I just was a better shot back then. I'm not sure. But sometime after my first couple of deer, I had a few that 
I put bad shots on and I tracked for miles and miles and miles before I ever found them and had to come out the next day. And sometimes you find them and, you know, the hindquarters are already eaten by the coyotes and different things. And it, it just makes me think, though, about equipment and how many people get discouraged from hunting because they don't have that knowledge or it's not brought to light. And they're doing things that are injuring animals and say they actually wound one and can't ever find it and recover it. And it messes them up so bad that they can't. I mean, that that's a serious kind of thing that I think more people do need to bring it to light and explain these things in a way that people can digest and understand so that they want to try and do things like that. I mean, is that something you're kind of seeing too? There's just such a mountain of things to learn. If you're, if you're new to hunting, like think about it. Like the, you just have, you have to, there's a, there's a sequential order of operations that kind of starts to happen. Some of these things happen all at once to some degree, but there's just certain things you're not going to get until you start to learn them. Unless you have a really good mentor that's, you know, kind of skipping some steps with you and educating you as to why you're doing these things like FOC or so forth. Um, but it, a whole bunch of smart people that are all dead now, uh, <laughs> Albert Einstein, Socrates, they all said, Aristotle said like, the more I learn, the more I realize, the less I know. So I always keep a pretty open mind for things. I'm pretty humble about stuff. And, and there's just so much shit. I still have nothing. I don't even, you don't know what you don't know. And there's just so much you don't know. And deer hunting and any hunting is one of those endeavors where like, you're always going to be learning th things. I, every year I have an aha moment and I'm like, Oh my God, if I would have freaking known this <laughs> two years ago, you gotta be kidding me. Like I know I would just completely no clue. And you think you are up here and you're still not, you're still not. So, you know, there's a lot of tools and technologies and gear and things like that, but at some point you just got to keep an open mind. And so I, I agree with you that, yeah, there's probably a lot of that, that. I think there's a lot of people that could benefit from learning that type of stuff. But I think, uh, was it urban Bowman, um, Taylor Chamberlain and, uh, seek one just got together and maybe there's someone else involved in that where they just put together a master course. I think their emphasis is like urban hunting rather than just hunting in general. But there's a couple of companies that I think emerge that are trying to like educate people from, from start to finish, like field care. How do you gut a deer? What do you do with the meat? How do you cook the meat? Like the whole field of fork cycle. Cause that's a pretty big movement, right? It's got a lot of people into hunting and it's cause they want to know where their food came from. Well, now they got to figure out how to kill an animal. Where do you go to kill an animal? Like how do you find <laughs> property? There's just so much to know. There's so much to know, which is why this is so fun. Learning <laughs> is just a fun thing and it's never ending. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing, though. Like, man, I used to drag deer. I'll never do that again. I just don't want to. I mean, unless it's close. We were you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, why? If, you can, if you're going to haul out all your crap on your back anyway into the woods, why not just haul a deer out on your back? If you got a proper pack, like, this is something that was just like a revelation to me. And I'm like, <laughs> I, you almost give yourself a heart attack trying to drag this deer you're huffing and puffing sometimes you still got to come back get all your gear and put it back on after you drag this deer wherever you're going or you call your buddy and wait on your buddy like never again man <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to try and do that like i'm not going to do it anymore unless i absolutely have to you know like if it's more than I think a lot of yards folks, <laughs> yeah well i think it's probably intimidating for some folks like i'm not one that doesn't and i'm probably one that may be intimidated by but Cause I'm not real comfortable quartering up an animal. Like I haven't, the way that I learn things often, I mean, I learn enough myself by making terrible mistakes and, and all that stuff. Um, there's a lot of self-education, but some of the best ways to get into this stuff, the reason why hunter numbers are like hard to come by is because you usually need a mentor until someone shows me how to do something. <laughs> then yeah. it's really hard to like approach on your own. So there's YouTube now and you can probably figure it out, but it'd be great if I just had someone in the woods with me to say, all right, you cut here, you cut there. And this is, and then, Oh, this is actually way easier than I thought. Thanks for showing me that. Now I got it. Kind well, of thing. And like, that's how it was with you know, my dad you know, showing me how to hunt. So do you process okay, your own meat? That complicated. I did when I was in college. Cause I literally didn't have pennies to rub together. I was so broke um, that I couldn't afford processing. So I had somebody help teach me how to process my own deer. It took me like the entire effing, it took me like eight freaking hours to do. And some guys can be done with this shit in like an hour. <laughs> I was not that guy. It was so effing cold in the garage. I started losing all my dexterity. Like, so it got like really hard to do after eight hours. I enjoyed it, um, but I didn't actually know what I was doing. Like the person that was showing me, like they were full on, like making sure I was doing it myself. They were not doing it for me. But 
they're like, oh, well, this muscle connects here and the fibers go this way. So you just cut. I'm like, how the F do you know this? I don't know this confidently enough. Like I could probably get through this again. And, but I would leave a lot of scraps. Like I wouldn't have done as good of a job, you know? So to date, I don't have any time. Uh, and I'll leave it to the pros that slice <laughs> the dice in, in less than an hour. So no, I drop it off, pay the 80 bucks and it's done. I can't I'll do it. it later. I can't drop it off and do it anymore. No matter who I take it to, it doesn't matter. Or if you want stuff made out of it, chances are, unless you know the person personally, they're mixing your deer with somebody else's deer when they're making the sausage or doing whatever they're doing in bulk, right? It's all about time and money and production. And for me, I just, I can't do it anymore. I want to know that when I'm eating that piece of meat, no matter what it is, it's my deer. I ground it. I mixed it. I can vision it in my head from the hunt to the bite in my mouth at the moment. I can savor that flavor. And that's become like a real obsession of mine now is like, Every portion of that deer, everything I do, I did it. And now that I quarter them up, it's like you quarter up your deer anyway to process it. You're actually saving steps. Like I figured it out yeah, one that's, day. That's valid. I, you're, you're saving at least an hour by doing that. And it only takes me, and I'm, I'm going to admit, like I'm not the fastest when it comes to quartering up a deer, but leaving it on the ground, quartering it up all by myself, probably 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And then well, how long does it take? I mean, some guys can gut real fast. I'm not one of those guys, but I'm one of those guys that like the classic sweats get in my eyes. I can't see. I'm grunting and moaning. I'm swearing. <laughs> and I'm cussing. I'm like, why I make everything so much more difficult than it needs to be most of the time. <laughs> so like it would take me a while probably. So 15, 20 minutes, I can have the deer fully field dressed. And that's, the the butt out plug or whatever i just started using mm. one of those but if you shoot a like a yearling it doesn't work as good as a fully mature deer just fyi okay. on that one and <laughs> also uh when you're down there make sure you put it in the right hole when it's a doe because <laughs> that does happen <laughs> um, especially during the rut they seem to be a little more ready and oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> jeez <laughs> mistake but it happened uh, yeah. In my head, I pictured uh, a picture that I can't remember what movie it was, but it was that wrong hole, foo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So here's more content. That's what <laughs> so that just, uh, that that happened. I'm embarrassed to admit that, but it did happen. Okay, it's 100 moment for sure. But yeah, no, I mean, it's just one of those things now to where instead of doing it out in the cold garage, I'll just take a quarter at a time and leave the rest hanging or leave it in a, a you know a cooler. And now that I quarter it up, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to hang it for four or five days until I can get to it to process it because it's in a cooler. It's right there. Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah. That makes, that's cool. I, I would like to get to that point. Um, and, and the way that I see it with the, the kids that, I mean, four, two and, and new, like this is a season of life that just makes everything feel impossible. Like I can't <laughs> go to the grocery store, let alone corporate right now. Like it just, and I probably could, I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses, but it's just, it's really challenging. Um, so at some point I would love to get to the point where I, I can do those things and my kids are there with me and they're helping or they're doing it and they're teaching me something like, I think that would be fantastic when I have the, the capacity in life to do that. And maybe basically meeting okay, center gets to a place and an outland where, you know, then I don't have to have a day job in the midst of all this and I can handle that kind of stuff. Um, cause then it'd be really fun. And you talk about content. Well, here, here's a video on how to quarter up a deer, right? I'm learning. Here's a, here's a, how you like, that would, that'd be great. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it's something that my kids love doing with me now as far as I don't do a whole lot of grind anymore because I found uses for the different muscle groups and, and you could actually take your hand and the connective tissues that connect them. The only thing that's going to keep them actually together are the tendons, but those are only, the tendons and ligaments are only, only at the joints. So you can stick your you hand. You sound like the guy that showed me how to process my idea. And I was like, dude, how the hell do you know this? It's you look at it and you play with it enough and you can, I mean, you can literally slide your hand in without a knife, Mm -hmm. slide your hand in and separate the muscle groups and you have whole muscle groups. So you have your four, I think it's four muscle groups on the hind and you could take all those out and then you got the whole muscle group there and then you can look at it and go, okay, what am I going to do with this? You could, you could butterfly it, you know, unroll it, whatever, pound it out, turn it into roulade, whatever. It's just, it's neat. So then my wife, of course, is the opposite and goes, all right. I got this chunk of meat. 
what is this? What do I do with it? Oh, well, that's like a top round. Well, what do I do with the top round on B? You know, it's one of those things she'll call me up and I got to explain it to her on the phone or, okay, that'd yeah, be a good gonna roast. My, I'm going to be texting you a bunch. Have you had Nick Otto on your show, Huntivore? No, no. You, you, you guys would have a really good episode. I don't know if, I've I, I probably seen him. I don't know. He, he's great uh, for like recipes and how to understand exactly what you're talking about. If you guys have a great time talking, I'm, but you guys should definitely talk on a show. Of Interesting. Each, each oh. <laughs> but so let's talk about you a little bit more. He's in the outdoor. He's in the outdoor podcast exchange. You can probably find him in there. And, and Is it him. a Huntivore podcast too? Is that the? Yep. Okay. That's his. I think I have yeah, seen yeah. that. Okay. 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 I didn't know. Cause I, we, I, I was on his and I was like, bro, I'm not a good guest for you. Like, I don't do a lot of this stuff. I, I, had, I had a couple. I had a couple thoughts. So let's do your okayest moments. Let's let's talk about that and some of the dumbest, stupidest, not almost dying things. We'll get into that maybe later that you've done. But let's let's uh, give me some of those that you've learned over the years and went, wow, how did that happen? Dude, there's like every hunt is chock full of all of them. Like forgetting the release is pretty common, so I made a sticker for it. Um, there's one time I was up in the Nicolay and you know, I had this big, big old tree stand on my back. So I was mobile hunting before I ever even knew what the hell that was. It's just what my dad did. And in fact, the steps that I had were like single steps that were like rope that you'd cinch down. And that was your one step. And then you'd have to put your boot in there and then do the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. So like that's how I used to climb a tree was with rope steps because we couldn't screw into the trees on public land. So that's how we did it. And I didn't have sticks. So sticks are like a revelation for me when I discovered them. My dad got them for Christmas and I was like, holy shit, I got three steps and one freaking fall swoop. This is incredible. Um, and I would like gnaw on the, on the, you know, strap with my teeth. I didn't have any safety stuff. It was bad. I'm surprised I didn't die or break a limb or something. But one time I had all this stuff on my back, this big ass freaking stand, my satchel of all my steps, my gun in the Northwoods. I wore these Mickey Mouse boots from World War II. And I don't think they're actually Mickey Mouse because they're white. So they're called something else, but they're like the Mickey Mouse boots from World War II. So they weigh like 10 pounds a piece. They're the same. And they're the same. Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I'm like walking along, walking along and I see this log kind of sloping with me. You know, it's not perpendicular to me. It's like parallel with me kind of. And it's wet and it's snowy. And I'm like, I'm going to step on this log. Why am I going to do that? I have no effing idea. The instant my foot touches this thing, both feet go above my head. I fall backwards into this log. And I shit you not, somehow, way, shape, or form or another, my stand got st- I was stuck. I was like stuck on the ground like a turtle, but I was like lodged into this log. My gun, my, my shotgun that I had in my hands. And I just started laughing by myself. I'm like, if anyone would have saw this, my pride would have been totally ruined. What an idiot. And uh, so that was like, you know, one of the first things where I'm like, God, I just, I'm just not good at this stuff. <laughs> Everything's a struggle. Um, I've got lost up in the North Woods. I remember going one way and I was dead confident. I was going the, direct, the direction I need to be going. And I see this like glare off of a windshield. I didn't know that that's what it was, but I see this glare and I look at the windshield. I'm like, well, there's a freaking truck over there. What the hell? Oh, that's weird. And I look and like, that's, that's my dad's truck. Did he move? No, it's in the same damn spot. I was just not going the right way at all. And by the grace of God, he reflected that windshield at me so I could get my way back to the truck. Because heaven knows I would have kept going in the other direction for miles thinking I was headed the right way. So between like getting turned around, uh, dropping stuff, forgetting things, man, I don't know. There's just so many goofy things. I couldn't pull my bow up this season because it got hung on a branch. Um, I almost fell out of a tree this, this season. I pulled my bow up and it like dislodged my climbing stick. And I didn't know it until I went to go get down and then it like slid down the tree. Uh, so then I'm sitting there in a saddle like uh, I'm literally stuck in a tree right now. My wife is going to kill me if I don't die in this tree. So I like bear hugged it and like shimmied my ass down the tree, which was tricky because I was still like tethered in. So then I had to still with one hand somehow like undo my tether knot. It was terrible. So do you hunt? This shit just happens all the time. Do you hunt from the top of the stick? Uh, Well, I had a platform for that hunt and I took the platform off when I'm getting down and then the stick just, you know, slid down on me. So you don't use your lineman's belt? You use your tether to climb down? I did. So no. So, Yes, I did have that, but it was like not helping me 
because I had nothing to put my feet on. Put your so knees, it was like around. Yeah, the, you put your knees into the tree, but <laughs> right, you'd think. So that's what I, I had like just awkward. It was terrible. There's like a very like at one at any point if I made like the the wrong move, I was going down. So I handled it. And it was fine, but it was really precarious. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, do other people do this kind of shit? Am I the only one that yes. makes everything so effing difficult? Like, what is wrong with me? Do you? Uh, <laughs> Do you find you're particularly clumsy in other activities throughout life, or is it just oh, yeah. hunting? <laughs> it's no, it's all this. I mean, podcasting too. Like, <laughs> holy shit, everything's a, everything's like a problem. And certain areas of my life, it's great. You know, it's fine. And uh, <laughs> but, yeah, there's just certain mechanical things that I just suck at. I, I used do. to as an automotive. <laughs> I believe it or not, I auto. I was an auto in high school, and I rebuilt a Chevy engine from 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 like completely tearing it out. Taking out, sending it to get reboard, getting it back, putting every fucking piece of new equipment in there, um, and it, it eventually it did start and it worked and it was crazy and I couldn't believe I did that, but it was awful. <laughs> like the number of things that I did wrong, it's like anytime I get a piece of furniture, some screw is going to go in the wrong spot and it's not going to go right and I have to undo it and redo it because I put this board facing the wrong way and now I'm like ten steps past it and it was the one thing that had to be done the other way. Like, that's just my life, man. Do you read the directions, though, or do you just... Yeah, but I'm like, <laughs> who fucking makes these directions? Like, this was not spelled out clear enough. See, like, like... I should have to study this with a fucking magnifying glass to know that that's what had to happen here. <laughs> I do that stuff, but it's because I don't even look at the directions, and I go, like, three-quarters of the way through it, and I'm like, oh, I got to flip that around. No. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before something dumb like that happens to me, man. Every freaking time. And now that I live that way, I'm like, oh, no, what? something's going to get me here. I'm going to mess this up. So yeah. I pay extra close attention. And it still happens, you know, or like. <laughs> I had a stick yeah. kick out on me, though. I've had that happen. But I that's was... never happened until this season. And, and it was my fault. Like my, my bow tow rope lifted it up. And I just didn't realize it. So when I put my foot on it, I kind of did. It just, it just escalated quickly. <laughs> See, now here's here's where we got to go with this. I think you need a full frame pack. You strap your bow to the pack while you're climbing up. Oh, there you go. Take your pouch that you have on your saddle, put your uh, pack hanger slash bow hanger on there, hang your pack up on the pack hanger, then take your bow off, set it on the bow hanger. Problem solved. Oh. See, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a problem solver. We'll get this figured well out. <laughs> I, I believe in system. I believe in systems and you know, hunting is one of the things that you do, you know, part of the year. So it's like getting back into this groove of, Oh yeah. What are my systems again? It's always <laughs> like the first ones you're like shaking the cobwebs off. Like I'm not going to climb trees in my backyard all year round. You know, it's like eventually <laughs> it's spring and I'll tinker and I'll putz around and, and then eventually hunting season comes. And of course I'm not prepared as I want to be because life happens. And my wife's like already scowling at me and it's July. And she's like, are you ready getting this itch? I'm like, I can't help it. Yeah. And so then I'm like trying to not do hunting stuff while trying to do hunting stuff. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, I'm just going outside real quick. <laughs> what do you, what are you doing out there? Nothing. And then she'll be like, what are you doing? Out there? I was like, oh, I was just going to hang my stand real quick. She's like, are you freaking kidding me? It's June. I was like, what? what's wrong with that? I should. I can go hang my stand. I can go do stuff. So you incorporate that with trimming trees. So now you're like, what are you doing out there? Well, I'm using my hunting equipment. See, it's multifaceted, and I'm using there it to go. climb the tree and prune, yeah. get some branches out. So that way, I'll have to just know. get some cleats. Yeah, and then just start like <laughs> lining belt with my saddle, and, like just scaling trees, and like I'm chopping branches. Yeah, I wonder if you can use those, like the climbing spikes or whatever, on public land i've, I've heard people doing it i don't i don't know that that would be a problem because the way if you think about like the way your cam lock and stuff it's chewed up the tree a little bit but i don't know that's interesting i'm gonna have to look into that now but all right let's get back to the hunting <laughs> about so you went how many years did you go before you actually killed the deer then from the time you started uh, hunting? so 16 17 first year hunting i think i got my first deer there's the first year we hunted uh, state park here in wisconsin which is about 11 i think it was like 10 or 11 years ago uh i'm 30 35 or something so it would have been like 24 25 somewhere in there is when i finally killed a deer i shot a spike buck in the neck from the ground 15 yards with my slug uh you know pump action shotgun that my dad gave me i got down for lunch he's like wait for me but you know wait for me i'll come with you okay cool also the deer comes around the bend i'm like whoa there's a freaking deer. And he's like, ah, there's a hunter. And I was like, no, 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 no. 
this is happening. So I, you know, blasted him and he fell over right there. And that was it. It was my first year. My first year with the bow was 2017. And that was a Dauphin from the ground that I did not know it was a Dauphin because it was so damn exciting to be, you know, 15 yards from something with my bow that I was like, this is awesome. It, it went perfectly. You know, hard did it have spots? No, I didn't have spots, but you know, it was a pretty easy drag, which I was grateful for. So yeah. I was like, you know, this isn't so bad. I'll take this any day because that's pretty far back there. We call those suitcase deer. Yeah. You, yeah. It was very easy. Literally hang them by all yep. fours and tack, carry them out. Those are suitcase yep. deer. And they, <laughs> but that was a pretty proud moment. Yeah. My dad happened to be with me on that hunt. Uh, just so, just happened to be that way. And you know, it was like, it was a proud moment. I felt like a freaking 12 year old kid and I was 20 some odd years old, you know, or when well, no, I was actually 31 or something because my wife might get married until I was 30. So, yeah, we got married 2016. So 20, 2017, I got my first deer with a bow. Yeah. How many, how many years did you hunt with a bow before you actually got one then? Uh, a few, like maybe three or four or something like that. And, and I didn't really start taking more and, and podcasting help with that. Honestly, like having a podcast in 2013 and talking every hunt there, I started to really gain a lot of knowledge and start to apply things. And then I got consistent with the podcast. I think, uh, 2019 is when we really turned the screws to every Tuesday we're podcasting period. It was when we moved into the house I'm in right now that it was like, this isn't a sometimes thing or when I get to it kind of thing. This is like a regimented thing. And that, yeah. that's when everything started to change. So how consistent, like with, with hunting, how consistent were you before? I mean, was it like you're going out an entire season or were you only hitting it like one week? Oh uh, yeah. I was going out here and there. I was in college. So I was like, I was working full time and I was in school full time. So like I would work second shift and then, you know, I would try to hunt the morning or something like that here and there. It just never, I never had a lot. I still to this day don't have any damn time. I mean, time is the one component that has not been on my side through my entire hunting career. I mean, I, I hunted a lot this season, but we're talking like a half day, maybe a week. And then until right, then I got like, four days to hunt um friday through a monday and that was my hunting season by and large for bow like and i had i had a 150 uh typical white tail that i could have blasted i just was facing the wrong direction he got on me too quick and i couldn't make a move on him and that is very unfortunate for me because that would have been a phenomenal deer for me and uh to even get an opportunity like that on a deer tells me i'm like I've learned a lot. I'm getting closer. I'm getting better, uh, you know, to see a deer. And it was at 10 yards, you know, it was, it was right freaking there. If, if I would have been ready, he would have been cream. <laughs> it would have been a lot less error for me to, to mess up on. I missed a deer last year, right over its back. Uh, and then the following week, I, I you know, encountered a, a buck on a property I never hunted before and got the one that's on the wall in the studio here. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm learning quite a bit. I think it's starting to finally compound where I'm, I'm, doing better but i have so many shit dumbass moments out in the field <laughs> just i tell you man well that's like this year so like i started out hunting when i was 16 archery and i did archery a long time before i ever did gun hunting which is kind of weird it's kind of like backwards but so it took me four years before i actually got a deer and like my first sit my first morning and i think i told you guys about it on your podcast ever sitting in the tree stand and I drew back and it was like right under them. The next one was right over them. No range finders back then, whatever. And then still one of the nicest deer I've ever seen, like in person, ever seen still one of the nicest deer. Fast forward. It was four years later. Then I, I doubled up that day, got a buck and a doe. And then I think I told the story about the buck coming after me or whatever, but all of that. And then like I took a couple years off and I would only gun hunt, which was weird to me. I, I just, I guess I didn't have time, but in between that, like in my twenties, I hunted way more than I do now. Like I'd spend an entire three months out hunting just because I had the time, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the, my job would allow me to do that to where I could go and do that. And then now I look back and I'm like, man, if I even, I, and it's like, what did I do with that time when I had it, when I'd hunt for three months and go out at least once a day? Like, what did I do? I, why, why didn't I stay out all day? Why didn't I do all these things? And now, you know, you look at it and you've got maybe 15 days, 20 days, you can actually get out there and really hunt during your entire season of what, you know, almost three months. And, and you look back and you're like, what an idiot. I could have had these huge deer on the wall all the time, you know, could have been a consistent buck killer. And instead, 
here I am this year struggling, shot two does, you know, one with a shotgun tag. One, I wasted, <laughs> I didn't waste it, but I shot a doe with my shotgun tag because I got trail cam pics of this other buck showing up. And I'm like, well, F this, why am I here? You know, and so I just mm-hmm. blasted what, you know, came by so I could fill that tag and move on to the next thing. And here I am, no buck, <laughs> still chasing the same buck. And it's like, you learn from some of the things. I think my biggest like learning point this year was that I didn't, I focused too much on one deer instead of focusing on opportunities where I know, Hey, this is a good spot. I've, I've scouted it. I know there's probably sign here. Something could cruise through here. I fixated every moment was okay. Well, what's the weather going to be in this spot? How can I get in there without the wind busting me out? And I spent all my time on this one deer and I haven't seen him in, a month haven't seen him just hasn't showed up Mm. on camera nothing and here i am maybe he got shot maybe he didn't i don't know hopefully he comes back through but at the same time i know there was other deer other places i just didn't have a camera there it's so my biggest thing don't i'm not going to rely on cameras anymore i'm going to go back to the old way i did things and focus on sign in the area so what would your sign was yeah i i think uh this year i I learned how to speed scout uh, from my cousin who is not on social media, who's killed more big deer than most people that are in the space. Um, he just doesn't care to flaunt it or talk about <laughs> it or show people his shit. Uh, he's probably the best deer hunter that I know of, even considering all the people that I've talked to in the podcast realm. He's, up, he's an elite hunter. He's up there with the best of them, if not better than most. And he taught me this season how to speed scout slash speed hunt areas and he's like the thing that i will guarantee you eric is when we go to this property we will know whether or not it's holding the deer that you want to be after and i will tell you that we'll probably scare more deer than we're going to shoot but if you're going to shoot and it's going to be within five yards and all the deer he has he shot within five to ten yards with um that it, it was a compound now it's a longbow um that he's using so he's you know very much white tail adrenaline ish I would say his approach is uh, a bit different than theirs still. And learning that was really interesting to me because I would have just gone to these properties and said, this looks like where a deer would be. This looks good. I would have done my normal stuff. Here's some tracks, whatever. I mean, he's, he's playing chess with animals in a way that I have never even considered possible. And he's reading sign in a way that I never read sign. Like he's looking at, this has been chewed down there here. These are does. These tracks are going this way. These deer are doing what you think they're doing. They're doing that. This, this property is good this time of year, but not that time of year. There's no, you know, big buck sign here. These are little bucks. Um, this is not where a big buck would bed. And here's why. Like just crazy stuff. So just soaking that in was really, really interesting. And then on the backside of that, um, I was still mixing in my, like, let's hunt from a saddle, a stand, let you know, hunt the sign is probably the biggest lesson from this past season. I scouted in, I scouted my way in to a property where I thought I had some assumptions about where the deer ought to be. But when I got there, I wasn't seeing anything to tell me that there's anything worthwhile here. So I kept going and I kept going and I went to the end of the property and I was like, okay, well, I still don't see anything super great, but there's, a, there's more here than there was in the other spot. So I'm going to set up here. Well, then uh, when I went back out a second time, it, less than eight days later, it was a totally different scenario. The spot that I passed up on the first hunt was like, there's something happening here. There is big, big buck sign. It is fresh right now. I posted up on a spot. I saw three of the biggest year of my life run through that area um, with the hot dough. They were all out of range, but I was like, holy shit, this is it. Like it was just very interesting because old me would have, I'm going to go to this spot. Be, who knows why? Cause I like this tree and I can set up and I can steal myself. I'm not silhouetted. It's good for shooting this way, not that way. <laughs> and I would have been all about the spot and the setup rather than what the deer are doing. And then with the deer are doing, I would call Greg and Derek and be like, yo, you guys, this is where the deer are, but I don't have a freaking spot to set up here like i don't know how to set up the spot but this is where they are and i need to be right here and i can't figure out how to do it and if i move you know 20 yards that way this the sign dries up they are literally concentrated in this particular spot i just don't know how to hunt it and like yo you gotta get on the ground you gotta figure it out and and that's what i did and that's when i saw these deer like holy crap and that's when i missed my opportunity 
at the 150. I was right in the right in the zone. And it taught me that if you're not right on top of them, it could be a day's difference and you would miss the mark. And and you're doing things on different days. They're pattern driven, yes, but those patterns, especially during the rut, are not gonna hold up. Um <laughs> so once the rut hits, it's like all bets are off. But Deer might be on like a five to eight day cycle of a pattern where like every every third day they're gonna do X, but every fifth day they're gonna do A. And sure, that's pattern, but it's not like they're literally doing the same thing every single day. You look at your trail cams, you know, you can see that buck every day at the same time at the same buck time. No, it might be like you might see them every third day or something doing that thing, but their range is not as big as or it's bigger than you think, probably. So just whatever. I'm like taking all this stuff into consideration. And so what I want to do next year, and I'm reluctant to share it uh, because it's something that I want to do under the brand channel and I want to have our team do um, something that I don't think anyone's ever done yet. So I'm just going to keep that under wraps, but it (laughs) involves some speed scouting. So it could be fun. Okay. But scouting my way, scouting my way in was the biggest learning and thing that I was attempting to try and learn and understand this season. And it almost fully paid off. I mean, to me, it paid off completely. I just didn't execute the way that I probably could have a better hunter would have probably made it happen. Not an okayest hunter. It would be a, I don't even know what you call it. A, non okay <laughs> a great yeah hunter. like what, a real hunter what, yeah. i don't know you know <laughs> what is that i don't know maybe we learn from mistakes and, and and our whole <laughs> thing is like let's focus on failure like i said let's focus on on the failure and then those moments because i think you know what what i've heard people say now is you guys are like so relatable this has got to be the most relatable brand that that speaks to me that makes me really proud of what we're doing if, if we're relating to people i think that's important to do there's a lot of brands that are really unrelatable I think Hunting Public is fucking phenomenal. I think they are so great. They put out such great content. I'm sorry. I don't have all of the time to go hunting. Like and, I said, and you I'm have maybe not, 15 like, days, you know? Yeah. So, like, they have time on their side. And I think at some point, what that does is it compounds the learning effect. Like, if I was going to start a new job, I could work eight hours a day, seven and a half if you factor out lunch, probably six if you factor out the bullshitting and BSing of people, going to the bathroom, getting coffee, <laughs> getting water, getting up. So maybe you're six hours in on a day. So six times, what, five days a week, that's 30 hours. You know, it'll take you three to six months on a job. But if you're a freaking go-getter and you get into that job and you work 12 hours, I'm talking the meat of 12 hours. Maybe it's a 16-hour day, but you work 12. Well, 12 times five is 48. You've just compounded. You're going to learn that job and be get a lot better than that other person that's only working six. You're working double time. You're literally doing twice the work, which means you're going to get to the end goal twice as fast so if i had that kind of time to put in the woods you're getting a double effect you're getting a the time in the woods so more opportunity but you're also learning twice as much so it's those two things start to converge and you become a better hunter a lot faster so the guys that do this shit for a living so what do they do for a living like they are really good at it because they've been doing it for so long they've understood <laughs> what to do they've learned the land the topography what the other hunters are doing where the big deer are bedding Big deer are going to bed where big deer are going to bed. You know, one gets killed, it's going to create a vacuum. Another buck's going to go occupy that spot. Like, it's a good spot because it can throw off predators. They can see what's going on. They can smell what's going on. They know what's happening. Like, it's only a matter of time for a little buck occupies that. So, like, you know, time is the variable that I think changes things. So, you look at what other people are doing, and most people don't have that kind of time. Most people are making a lot of dumbass mistakes like I am. <laughs> Most people like find themselves in weird situations. Like, well, how did I do this? Why did that happen to me? And that is relatable. And I think that relatability speaks to a broader demographic. Absolutely. So with that being said, Eric, I think that's a good wrapping up point. Um, it was good having you on and talking to you. Um, before we go, though, I'd like to ask you one more time where everybody can find you, your content, all the branding, if they want to get in touch with you to maybe do a little bit of work for their brand that they've got going on, all that good stuff. Yeah, I think, appreciate it. I don't know if anyone makes it this far in the podcast, but I think uh, if you want to check out some things, I'll give you three different links at baselayermedia.com uh, is where you can check stuff for the branding, logo stuff, uh, content marketing, and then okayesthunter.com for okayesthunter stuff, podcasts, merch, blog, et cetera. And then uh, outland.io, that's O-U-T-L-N-D.io. Um, there's not much there right now, but there's more to come very soon. So, All right. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, and thanks for coming on. 
yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun. It's good to do this stuff. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.